Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. So we are recording today's episode in the morning um, of Monday, the 23rd of November. Today, we've had further really encouraging news of another new vaccine. And I suppose it's fair to say that we can dare to hope that maybe by spring 2021, the cloud of restrictions and this kind of intermittent lockdown um, episode that we've had may start to lift. But we still do have the winter to survive. And the reality of what damage the past seven months has inflicted on the economy will be brought into sharper focus this week when we have the spending review on Wednesday. Now, remember, we would have expected this to be a three-year settlement, but because of the uncertainties around COVID, this is now one-year review. So we'll have a look at that. Um, also, what the new tiering system might mean for certain sectors of the economy when we're due to emerge from lockdown on the, on the 2nd of December. Um, we've got some retail figures for October. So again, just in, in light of our last podcast, we'll have a look at those. And something I was unaware about until Nick pointed out to me earlier on um, was about the high court, high court ruling on final salary pension schemes that potentially is going to be quite expensive and um, have some far-reaching implications. So we'll delve into that as well, I think. Right, Nick, so where should we start? The spending review, does that... Um, well, only to say on the spending review that I think we we know pretty much what it's going to say um, because the government, like it does these days, has, tr- has pretty much trailed what it's going to say. It. Um, mm-hmm. uh, at, at least in this case, it came from a government uh, from government sources rather than Robert Peston. But there we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the government's already confirmed that the uh, the winners will be a positive. Um, uh, hike in spending for defence, education, health, and capital spending, um, otherwise known as large um, infrastructure projects that will be the next generation's white elephants, as oh, is yes. always the way. As always the way. Always the way. Um, there's going to also be a levelling up element to all of this, so there will be a bias towards the north against mm-hmm. the south, at least in terms of capital spending. Yeah. And uh, it's all, all to do with protecting the new blue wall up in the north. Yeah. And uh, I suppose that tells us that the big losers will be agriculture, which is unfortunate with Brexit around the corner. Yeah, we've got that double and a double wank because agriculture expecting the, the subsidies that they're likely to lose, what they will lose from, um, from the EU to be somehow topped up by government. So that's looking unlikely. Um, yeah, and, now, and uh, culture, media and sport, um, Gonna, it's not going to do well. The environment probably won't do well. So if you're looking for um, enhanced flood defences uh, anytime soon, I think you can forget about those yeah. and international aid. So I think that's what we know about um, the spending review, but we'll no doubt um, get confirmation of that um, on Wednesday. Yeah. So the other thing is actually worth worth pointing out on this is that there will actually be an OBR, an Office for Budget Responsibility <laughs> forecast. And that's the first time we've had that since the last budget in March and although OBR have published um, various forecasts, it, in the meantime they've never been put together with the spending review or the you know the government. No, and, and um, it will be interesting because um, they were the, in March they were looking. I mean, let's face it, a different world. Looking at a three percent drop in in GDP in GDP for the year, and I think the betting is now somewhere the wrong wrong side of ten percent yeah, for yeah. the for the year. Um, but we'll see. Interestingly. Um, 
uh, a leading economist writing for PwC, has come out today saying that they now don't expect um, GDP to recover to post uh, to pre-pandemic levels until 2023, which is sort of in line with yeah. with with so many other things. But it's another it's another confirmation. It's another blow. And then I suppose a link to that is the public borrowing, because of course yeah. you know we, we've got the. Um, the headline figures that are in front of me are public borrowing is up to two trillion, which is pretty much hundred percent of um GDP. 100.8%. Yeah. Um that's and that's a rise of 169 billion on the same period in Absolutely. 2019. And 200 billion of that is um been the cost of the COVID measures, yep. um, I think. So it, it's interesting though, because I heard um there was some somebody from the IFS talking on the Radio 4 um, programmes yesterday. And their their point was, you know, borrowing in itself isn't such a big deal, given that we've got historically low rates of interest. And actually, they are um, wanting to encourage the borrowing to be spent on areas of the economy that actually have a viable future. So it's, it's spending, if you're borrowing to spend on, on jobs that are purely um, in kind of deep freeze because of the pandemic, then that's a good way of, of supporting the economy because actually it's going to be in a year or two's time when the tax um, implications of this, when the, then there has to be tax rises to pay for this. And actually the stronger the economic base, which you can raise taxes, and we're talking about the big three, the VAT, the national insurance, the income tax, um, actually the better state the public finances will be in. So it's kind of interesting that um, but that's the take. But it's still scary. The numbers are pretty. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the numbers are numbers are scary. I mean, not least that government uh, spending in this current fiscal year is now forecast to rise to from forty percent of GDP last year to sixty percent of GDP. Yeah. But given that the government has for months on end been paying the wages of a third of the entire country's work for, workforce, it's not altogether surprising, surprising. there's been a shift from private to um, to the to the public sector in that uh, in, in in that respect. I mean, you've you've covered the the numbers off beautifully. Um, what I did find interesting, uh, and at the risk of going briefly into full scale economist mode um, <laughs> here, that, that are there's quite a debate going on about how dangerous all this public borrowing really is, because there are, um, dare I say, sort of um, fairly right-wing concerns about levels of public borrowing. Um, a lot of those are very ill-informed, but it was a wonderful piece in The Guardian, of course, um, pointing out that um, you don't need to worry about rapid, this rapid increase in government borrowing. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, the government is likely to issue half a trillion pounds of bonds in 2021, which is a heck of a hike. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's the laws of supply and demand in any other market would say um, excess supply equals reducing demand or at least a reduce in prices, yeah. government bonds, and an increase in the yield that mm -hmm. creditors, uh, investors will want from, from these government bonds. And it's actually not true. Because at the end of October 20, uh, the uh, the yields on 10-year government bonds were lower mm. than a year before mm. and lower than five years before that. And at shorter maturities, the yield is actually negative. Really? So people are paying to, 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 to buy, buy to government bonds. bonds. And it, it's one of the, it's, I think there's a technical term some economists coined for this called the stimulus debt paradox. And... And, and the point about that is that 
what people don't get when they worry about this borrowing is that government bonds have become sort of the cornerstone of the modern financial system. And what you get is private financial institutions, whether it's pension funds, insurance companies, hedge funds or banks, um, and of course, in this case, the Bank of England, a big buyer, hold them and and buy them for a whole range of purposes. You have to hold them for some regulatory purposes to do Mm -hmm. with banks' capital adequacy requirements. There's a demand for them for speculative reasons, for the possibility of price movements. Yeah. Um, they use them as collateral to get cheap leverage elsewhere on the balance sheets, mm-hmm. and they dash towards them in bad times because government bonds are viewed, whether you believe whether you think it's right or not, as the ultimate risk-free Free asset, asset yeah. which is why, of course, um, I mean, these are seriously troubled times. People are actually paying to, to buy the things. Mm. So, you know... Yeah, that's that, that, interesting, isn't it? It's a more nuanced... Um, a more nuanced view of of what the what the bonds because I think instinctively you think more borrowing that's got to be bad because you think about the government being in charge of your personal but actually it's a very different it's oh, a very it's different type of um, completely different system. And, you know mm. and, and I know it all sounds terribly complicated but you know the, the bottom line here is the current level of public debt is not a cause for alarm mm. because interest rates are and will stay low yeah and the structural demand for bonds that we've just been through is very unlikely to disappear. So, mm. yeah, we're borrowing our way into oblivion, but the answer, the answer is it's a comfortable oblivion at this precise moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we'll ask me of... again, ask me again, if, say... if the vaccines turn out not to work and we're, we're still in, in lockdown yeah. this time next year, but that's not where, where, where we are. Yeah, that's interesting. Thank you for um, for that overview. I suppose then linked to to that, talking of, of vaccines and and lockdowns and, and so on, we've got the a little bit more detail on on tears and and what what the world might yes. look like when we come out the other the other end of um, of this current lockdown. Yes, I mean as we record round about lunchtime, um, I don't think um, Boris has has, has yet. Um, told Parliament what he's going to do. But um, in a way, there's no need because Robert Peston wrote a blog mm. for the ITV first thing this morning, which pretty much laid out. And we, and we know that, generally speaking, he gets he, you, you can trust what he tells you. Um, it's the government's way of managing expectation, I suppose. Um, but what, um, it, it, what it does appear is that um, hospitality is going to be the sacrificial lamb of all of this. Because things yeah. like gyms and outdoor sports um, and recreation are all going to be um, available, uh, open and available for use in all the tiers, no matter where you are, um, mm-hmm. certainly in England anyway. Um, but And even retail, I think that... There's, retail, there's all shops of any any type will be open. I mean, to be honest with you, um, this everybody now understands, even the government's got, that this non-essential retail closure thing is a complete nonsense mm. and it's been incredibly damaging for independent retailers yeah you know who find themselves um you know forced to close um while you know uh, shops of you know retailers of different hues of opposite are selling exactly their same range of products yeah you know garden yeah, centers, it's just a basic garden fairness, centers, classic it's case. very yeah Garden centres and, and of course, supermarkets. Mm. So, uh, but it it does appear that in tier three, and I think quite a lot of the country will be in tier three Mm. when 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 those are announced on Thursday, it appears that um, uh, the restaurants and pubs will 
not be allowed to serve meals, sit-down meals to anybody. Takeaway presumably will still operate. But the 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 previous tier three thing of a single family unit um, going to a, a restaurant looks as though that's gone the way of all flesh. Yeah, and that's hard, isn't it? I think there was UK hospitality representatives um, this morning saying that 25% of the profits uh, in yep. these businesses are made in December Christmas trading. And so that's a huge, you know, coming on top of, of everything else. And okay, we had the, the, the eat out to help outs obviously did um, give a little bit of a boost, but I feel uh, like that's, yes, that the, feels the, like the, a distant memory. The, the, um, it, gave, it gave a little bit of a boost, but it also gave a big bit of a boost to the, um, uh, the rate of infection. Yeah, indeed. So there's, there's, no doubting, that. there's no doubting that. So, um, and, and of course, what, you know, before we move on, what everybody needs to remember is, you know, brutalise hospitality at your, uh, at your peril because it employs three million mm. people who are predominantly young and predominantly female. Yeah. And um, they, of course, will have their careers and their earning prospects um, damaged for the rest of their working lives. That's what all the research shows. If you, if you put if you put them through what they're going through now, the answer is they will never recover. Mm. And you just and hope then that the support is actually targeted then at, at, at that sector. Well, well, you hope so because they are the tax base of the future, mm. or a big part of the tax base of the future. Um, yeah, I mean, on that that note, I suppose the the other um, slight in terms of this kind of structural these structural changes, looking at retail, um, as we were just yes. saying, the the October figures are now out um, from the ONS, and and what does that look like? We've Nick? got a, we've got a one percent rise in um, retail sales in October, which pretty much every retail pundit like me and all my mates uh, think is to do with an acceleration of Christmas shopping. Right, after, okay. after all of the um, online boys, particularly Amazon, said you better order early because otherwise we may not be able to deliver to you pre-Christmas. Um, the, the, the one thing that came out of the retail sales that caught my attention was that in October, online sales, bear in mind this is pre-lockdown, in yep. October, online sales had risen to 40% of all retail activity. Wow. That's up from 29% in September. I asked myself, I wonder what November will be like. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, because even as you say, we have had, we've had more retail opportunities in this lockdown, but I think even so the, the, the number of um, people who are turning to online um, yes. options mm-hmm. is, is only going to increase in. I, I know, um, which simply, November. simply continues to uh, uh, cause a problem for re- uh, retailers um, who depend on or have too much bricks and mortar. Mm. It's interesting, actually. I, I noticed in the FT today, um, for those of our listeners who've who've got access, there's um, starting to there, there's some research following into Bill Grimsey's um, yeah. uh, work on the future of the high street and this kind of idea of a mixed future for um, yeah. for high streets that need to do something about this oversupply of retail um, space. There's a couple of interesting articles in there yeah. um, in the FT this morning. Yeah, and the, and, and the other thing that needs to come out of um, uh, if there's going to be any future for particularly smaller high streets is somebody somewhere has got to do something about absentee landlords who leave shops, who leave yeah. leave inconvenient little shops em- empty like gap teeth, like toothy gaps in uh, in, in an otherwise buoyant high street. Yeah. Um, well, that's I mean there, that that whole issue of transparency of ownership and everything else is that's uh, perhaps a, <laughs> that get, that's another series. Don't I think. get me started um, with offshore Cayman Island yeah. landlords. Let's 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 not. Yeah, indeed. Right. Let's let's turn then to the, the final um, piece of, of today's podcast, which is a High Court ruling on final salary 
um, pension schemes. Now, this is something I hadn't really been aware; it hadn't been on my radar. So, perhaps you could give us the the, right. the overview of the of, of where this has come from and why it's important. Right. Let me let me slip into amateur pension expert mode briefly. Um, the High Court on Monday ruled that. Um, defined benefit, or should we call it final salary schemes, that provided guaranteed minimum pensions Mm -hmm. to their members needed to go back and look at the cash transfer value. They're known as CETVs, cash equivalent transfer values that they gave to their members who transferred out to another scheme at any time in the last 30 years. Wow. It goes back to 1990. And the problem is the, um, the equalisation, the gender equalisation of the calculations of the guaranteed minimum pensions and therefore these transfer values between the period 1990 to 1997. Now, you probably know where I'm going on this because I can tell you, I do know enough about pensions, being of the age I am and uh, being a nerd, that um, the historic records of most pension schemes 30 years ago were pretty blooming awful. I'm presuming not an electronic version in some of these. No, and and, um, just to give you some sort of scope, we don't have any numbers on this. This came out of a... High Court action by the union that represents the vast majority of unionised employees at Lloyd's Banking Group. Right. And if you remember, Lloyd's Banking Group were were the ones who um, were the wrong end of the original decision that there had to be equalisation between gender equalisation, which was was not the case until the original Lloyd's Bank case. This is the second Lloyd's Bank case. Mm -hmm. And... um, they lost uh, in in court, and give you an a, um, an inkling of the figures. There were two hundred transfers looked at in this high court case. Yep. The average top up payment. So what the, what the pension scheme has to do is if if a pension scheme member comes along, they don't have to reach out to them, but if they come to them and say, "Oi, um, did I get the right uh, transfer value when I left you in two thousand and twelve?" They have to look at the calculation, recalculate it to equalise it, and then top up the transfer value with a payment. It'll be a and we, don't, and we don't know whether this is at the, at the previous figures at the, at the rate that would have been in 2012 or whether it's got to include any difference. Well, I, can t- I, mean- I can tell you, the um, on the 200 transfers looked at uh, in this high court action, the average top up payment was £1,000. Right. Okay. One member was entitled to twenty-three thousand pounds. Wow. Wow. Now, you know, a thousand pounds a pop doesn't sound very, very much, but there are two hundred and uh, they don't know how many people are involved. But giving a, 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 a sort of context for this, in 2018-19, people transferred out of defined benefit schemes elsewhere. So you know what was going. So we're looking at thirty years. And each, and we don't know whether don't that's know a representative sample, but you know that gives a, gives an idea of the scale of the um, of the issue. And presumably now the pension funds themselves need to start calculating what yes. their liability yes might be. They they do now. You see the the tricky thing here is that it is not 
mandatory for the trustees to go looking for for people. But we're talking about companies. Think about the nature of the companies with most of these uh, defined benefit schemes. They're big companies with big workforces with unions Mm. involved, not in every case. But, for example, retailers. You know, just think how many people have moved moved out of the Tesco scheme. Yeah. Just for an example, I'm not I'm not singling out Tesco's. Um, they may have played absolutely fair by people. I don't know the answer to that. But you're talking about um, this has been started by unions. It will be continued by unions, and they will encourage their members. They'll campaign and get yeah. them to approach. And the what the pensions industry is saying is. It may be that the trustees of many pension schemes will, will want to bite the bullet, go back, work it out. And pay uh, a settlement. Pay it out, because that way they if they if they don't do that, they're you know they're they're in a state of uncertainty. And so mm. and so are every stakeholder, so is every stakeholder in their in their business. The funding, you know, it'll have an effect or it'll it'll create extra accounting liabilities and it'll it'll impact on on profitability. As a one-off, yeah. But as even a, so, even so, I mean, there's it's already lots of scrutiny of, of pensions, defined benefit um, pension schemes, and the liabilities, and um, and so on. Oh, so that's another. Have you, have you looked in the back of a back of a um, any any listed com- company mm. report? And there's pages of the, yeah. of the stuff. Um, and and of course the uh, and as somebody rather archly pointed out in in uh, in, a, in a pensions um, website. Um, for the for those companies due to report um, on their figures to the thirty first of December twenty twenty, the timing of the rule doesn't leave much time to analyse this. No, it doesn't. So it's anyway, a few Christmas holidays um, cancelled yeah, potentially. We don't know how much it's going to cost. Um, we don't know how many people are going to claim, but it isn't going to be a small number. We, no, we're going to be I talking. Mean, of, we're going to be talking of hundreds of millions of pounds. Well, thank thank you very much for bringing that to um, these these kind of things that sometimes get lost in the in the wash of news um, around coronavirus and everything else. So that's that's really helpful. Thank you so much, Nick, for that. Pleasure. Um, I think that that brings us more or less. I was I was going to say something about Brexit, um, just because <laughs> again, for the I mean, I, I lose track of how many time how many weeks I read that that this week is the like the breakthrough or the breakdown um of talks but yet again we're at the break breakthrough or breakdown i mean you could hardly um you could hardly write this could you the the eu delegation have oh, had to go into self-isolation because one of their mm. members tested positive for um for covid so you know in these topsy-turvy times anything is um possible there's the sense from rishi sunak's interviews at the weekends there's a sense that you know he's not so concerned about a no deal brexit and whether that's you know the the kind of boosterism or you know, some well, he, sense he, he, that he obviously doesn't um, uh, um, live and grocery shop in Northern Ireland then, does he? <sighs> I mean, and that's the thing. I, you, you hope, don't you, that there is, there's, there's enough progress being made behind the scenes um, that are allowing the government to be more relaxed. So I shall, yeah. I shall take that um, a view and hope that by the time we next record, there might be some more positive news to report on that front. Um, so I suppose to, to summarise, for the first time, you know, we've got three now very positive vaccines. There seems to be that there could really be some um, some hope that by spring 2021, we could be on the on the cusp of emerging into a um, a new world where we haven't got these intermittent lockdowns and, and restrictions. Depending, but there's an awful depending, long way. Depending on the rate of take up. 
Yeah, that's, I, I think that's that's true. I mean, that's a, that would be another um, uh, question for another time, perhaps uh, the number of people who will actually take these vaccines and whether there's any element of compulsion. But, you know, we've had such, he would have thought that you could lock down the whole country um, and people would pretty much obey the rules this time last year. So who knows what will happen with, um, with vaccines and, and so on. So thanks again very much, Nick. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.